Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. So for today's podcast, we sat down with an amazing woman, Nora Diaz. Nora has cohabited with the indigenous groups of the Sierra Nevada for the past 20 years. This is extremely rare because until very recently, these groups rarely interacted with any outsiders. They are the last remaining pre-Columbian civilizations of the Americas, meaning that they existed before the colonizers arrived and sheltered by the landscape of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, were able to stay isolated and keep their culture intact. In this interview, Nora shares with us the powerful consciousness through which these groups interact with life and the natural world. With the environmental crisis that we are currently experiencing, it is now imperative that we open up our hearts and our minds to the consciousness and teachings of these indigenous peoples of our planet who have millions of years of experience when it comes to living in harmony with the earth. This was actually a wild moment for us because for the past 10 years, we've been completely obsessed with the way of life of these indigenous peoples of the Sierra Nevada. And Paula actually used to create art projects of many worlds inspired by them. So to say that this was an absolute honor is an understatement. And just so you guys know, the original conversation was completely held in Spanish. So what you are about to hear is an English translation in which Paula will be speaking for Nora and I will be speaking on behalf of Paula and I. We're also going to post the original podcast in Spanish for those of you who want to tune into that version or if you're just more curious about hearing Nora's voice. And for those of you who are interested in learning more about the indigenous peoples of the Sierra Nevada, we're going to be including more links in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. So take in a deep breath. And come fully into the now. And press play. Hola, Nora. Nora. Hi, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm very happy. Bienvenida al podcast. The pretty mental. The pretty mm. mental. Bueno, feliz, Very happy feliz to be here. I think it's such a great opportunity to have this conversation to go deeper into this topic that we are addressing today. This topic is really important. So why don't we just dive right in? Maybe we can start with you telling us about the four groups of people in the Sierra Nevada so that our listeners can begin to understand their history. The Sierra Nevada in Colombia, which is actually called the Sierra Nevada of Gonavindua, although it is better known as the Sierra Nevada of Santa Marta, it is a mountainous terrain, very much like a pyramid, with a triangular basis that is in the Atlantic coast in the peninsula, independent of the Andes mountain range. It's inhabited by four groups of indigenous people, the Kogi, the Aruacos, the Wiwas, and the Canquamos as they are recognized by the Occident, although they do have their own traditional names. And they come together to take care of that territory amongst the four of them. The collaboration and function between these four groups could best be compared to the four legs of a table, with that table being the Sierra Nevada. In their cosmology, they believe that the Sierra Nevada is where humanity was born, Everything that exists in the world as we know it was created there. 
and it all began as pure thought. Before anything came to be materialized in the physical world, it was first created in the realm of pure thought. So with this belief system, they have maintained a tradition of more than 5 million years, which is what gets passed on from generation to generation via their priests, which they call the mamos. They are the traditional doctors of their towns, the sociologists, the psychologists. They're the ones that maintain the order. In all of their education, they receive directly from the land, from their territory. That territory is a living body, the living body of the mother, which gives us everything. And they see it as their duty to care for this body which they do so on a daily basis through an ongoing series of offerings and tributes, which they refer to as spiritual payments that are made on behalf of the entire world. In other words, they say we pay for the sun, the moon, the continents, the rivers, the birds, for everything that inhabits this planet. And in this way, we are maintaining a balance. So every time we use things to live, like light, water, food, our clothing, or even radios and computers, all of that needs to be paid for. In the same way that we pay for bills, for the things that we use, they pay for all of this, but they do so in the spiritual realm, a realm which they refer to as Aluna. And it is always from this place that they work. Because the spiritual realm, the realm of pure thought, existed before everything that we now see came to be materialized. And this is still how things are. Everything starts out as a thought, which then materializes. We are then able to use all these things and they take up the responsibility of paying for our use. Yes, they pay for our use of the physical world as a way to maintain balance. They always refer back to the importance of balance to the right and the left, or man and woman, which are really just representations of energy, the opposing energies that give birth to the physical world. They're always trying to maintain this equilibrium, within which nothing is considered good or bad, but rather negative and positive energies, but not from the perspective of good and bad. So they don't relate to the world through the lens of good and bad, but rather that we just need to find balance between these polar energies? Exactly. And that balance between the opposing energies is what allows for the conservation of the natural world. In other words, their primary objective is to conserve the ecosystem of the entire world so that we can continue to exist for thousands and thousands of years or however much long our lives are meant to continue. Because the natural world is what gives us everything. The natural world is our mother. The water we drink is the milk, the milk that comes from the mother's breast, the sustenance that we need in order to live. And that goes for all of the natural elements that exist. So the earth is living, a living being, and we should be constantly offering up our gratitude for what it is constantly giving us. And it's what makes it possible for us to live well. In other words, to the extent that our lands are healthy, to the extent that a laguna, a hill, the trees are maintained, kept alive and healthy, that is the extent to which we ourselves are also healthy because it is all an extension of our bodies. Our bodies are mirrors of the territories that we inhabit, and it is from these territories that we are to learn. In other words, the codes for how we are to interact with the different territories of the earth can be found directly in the territories themselves. And the mamos read them according to their interpretations of the energies of that land. And that is how we can determine how we are to behave in each ecological niche. Pretty much all of the indigenous peoples of the world hold that vision, that relationship to the natural world and the mother. 
That is why they all have specific ways of living in different areas of the world. The indigenous peoples of the desert, of the Himalayas, or the jungles, or in this case, the people of the Sierra, they each have their own codes for how they are to live with the land. And that is what allows for the health and preservation of these lands. And to the extent that these lands are healthy, the inhabitants of the land will also be healthy. There is a direct relationship between the spirits of the natural world and humans, a constant interchange that is what guarantees us our health as human beings, not just the physical health of our bodies either, but also the health of our thoughts, of our feelings, of our emotions, because all of these things are connected to one another. Can you tell us about your work with the indigenous groups of the Sierra? Yes, well, by my physical proximity to indigenous territories, to these ancestral territories, which are the territories that they always inhabited before we arrived, because they are the original owners of those territories, I began to meet them and immediately felt a connection to these people. I felt an immediate sense of empathy with them. And I began to relate to them from equal to equal. Not from the sense of, oh, these poor people. Neither from the sense of glorifying them either. But rather from a place of, we're all just humans, right? And on that note, the majority of these indigenous people, these indigenous groups, when asked what the names of their tribes mean, say that it means people. If I ask an Aduaco what Aduaco means, they say people. If I ask the Kogi what Kogi means, they also say people. That's so interesting. Yeah, so I began to interact with them and I began to understand, first of all, the importance of their spiritual leaders, their guides, because truly, they're the ones that guide their communities. It's the political, spiritual, and cultural powers all wrapped up in one. The Mamos? Well, in the case of the Sierra, it is the Mamos, but every group refers to them differently. Within the broader international context, you almost always hear the word shaman. But in reality, a shaman is a traditional healer or spiritual leader of the indigenous people of Siberia. If you go to the Sierra, they are called Mamos. But if you go into the Amazon, they are called Taitas. Each group has their own unique name for these people. Regardless, these leaders always the ultimate spiritual authority that guides their town and that is also the political authority because it is all related for them. The spiritual world and the material world are one. Because again, first there is thought, and then there is the physical world. So how are we going to interact with and live in a territory? According to how the mother says that we should. And why? in order to conserve that territory. How do they interpret these messages? The interpretation of these messages is done in different ways according to each culture. In the case of the Sierra, they are capable of reading the codes that are in the rocks. They are capable of reading the clouds. They are capable of speaking with the lightning and the thunder. The water also speaks with them. Because at the end of the day, they have that capacity to communicate with nature. But there are also the methods of divination. And these methods have always been a part of human beings and our history. If you study the history of the religions and civilizations of our world, you will find that there are methods of divination in all of them. And this could be done through the use of bones, seashells, there are all of these kinds of natural elements that have been used for this, and they continue to be used today. The most well-known tool in this for many of us is the pendulum. And if you go to many alternative therapies where Eastern medicines are implemented, 
They practice divination via your pulse. Those are all different methods of divination. Human beings have always related with the divine, which is eternal, with a connection to the divine that exists among all of the different groups of people on our planet. And it guides us even through the use of our dreams. Dreams can also be used as a method of divination. There is many, many different ways by which we can relate to our dreams. Dreams are also highly connected with our emotions, our psychology, and our physiology. With all of these experiences that we have throughout the day, and people learn to work with this. In the case of the Sierra, their method of divination is based on specific locations on their land that serve as a bridge or portal between the physical world and the spiritual world. And they communicate with these places through the use of different elements that are considered power objects, elements that they gather from the natural world. And so these elements essentially serve as certificates, which allow them to access the spiritual world. So they go and they sit in these places, ask their questions, and that power object gives them a yes or no. So then all of the information begins to arrive intuitively into their mind? Yes. Well, in that case, the yes or no for them is given via bubbles in the water of Yatukwa, which is a squash gourd filled with water. They put a little rock in it, and according to the bubbles that form, they decipher a yes or a no. And there are various other methods as well. I personally use a pendulum, and that is how I decipher a yes or no. And everyone can do this, because it is important for us to understand that to know that we each have an inner shaman, and we have to open up to connecting with our inner spirits and souls, with ourselves and God. That's a responsibility we have, we all have, as human beings. And that is also what is going to help us heal because sickness and disease is very much related to the thoughts that we are thinking. So again, thought always comes first. In the Sierra, they say that when you get in an accident or something bad happens, first ask yourself, what were you thinking about? What was happening in your thoughts that this ended up manifesting? And so first we work to heal the thoughts so that then it can be healed in the material realm. So we have to be really careful with what we think. That is fundamental for the human being to the extent that we begin to have conscience of who we are, of our full abilities, I believe that we can begin to become more responsible with what we think. Because what I think is going to determine and attract what is going to happen. So right now, I'll speak to my own experience. I have the experience that if someone wants to cure themselves of a situation they are in, of recurring thoughts, the most important thing is to become conscious of that thought we are having and then to be able to direct it and to manage it. Because you can read 10 self-improvement books, go to five traditional or shamanic ceremonies, go to the psychologist for five straight years, but if your attitude and your thoughts, if you don't govern and direct yourself and make that decision to heal, then it is going to be very hard. Other people don't heal us. We heal ourselves. Everything else is just tools and help. But at the end of the day, the person who has the most influence over my healing is me. So why do you think that people sometimes resist their own healing? Well, I think in one way or another, people have a tendency to throw responsibility on others, which is a way of not taking ownership of ourselves. But there could also be multiple causes, including psychological, hereditary, or circumstantial causes. And one would have to really take a look at all of those things to really understand where one is coming from. And on that note, I can give you an example from the people of this era. 
what I have learned from them. And that is that when a negative situation take place in their community, when somebody commits a crime and goes against their justice system, nobody can say right away that that person is guilty. Even if they were caught doing the crime, they're not labeled as guilty right away. The community leaders begin to analyze and ask themselves, that attitude that that person had, what could it be related to? And that attitude could be related to a spiritual debt where maybe their grandparents or their great-grandparents committed a crime or a misdeed and that energy is now being charged presently via the person being examined. So when it comes to the causes of disease, I believe that oftentimes these types of situations or thoughts and attitudes can go all the way back to generations in the past, like paradigms that were learned or in the form of genetics. So from this perspective, it can be hard for the person to have the willpower to heal themselves because it's actually related to something else. And I also believe, definitely, and I say this from personal and empirical experience, that the poisoning of the body, better said, if there is not a healthy body, then there cannot be a healthy mind. We have three different levels from which we are working. The spirit, the physical, and the mental. And those three levels have to be in balance in order for human beings to really function. So if your body is intoxicated because of what you eat or because of what you think or because you don't exercise and therefore you are not releasing a lot of the toxins that are in your body, because our bodies are like chemical factories, if all of that is not released, you're actually becoming poisoned and the willpower will not be easy to access. So it's very important to be conscious of what we eat, what we think, and what we do, and to keep all of it in balance. So sometimes there are people who are not capable and don't want to change, but they need a little bit of an initial push, a little bit of help in order to start getting better. And there are also people who are just comfortable, who don't do it because they truly don't want to. When you really want something, you do find a way of doing it. So there are people who want to continue living in disharmony. Well, I do also believe that when people have been in a state of suffering and they have grown accustomed to that, it can be very hard for them to even imagine that life could actually be better and very hard for them to find the energy and the inner power to lift themselves out of these states. Yes, In those cases, I do believe that the tools that are in the world with the many different types of therapies that exist and in these indigenous worlds that also have a ton of therapies that are good for that. For example, in the Amazon, the medicine they use for this is yahe or ayahuasca. Or in the Sierra, the coca leaf and the tobacco. And their traditional methods for purifying thoughts by going back multiple generations and forwards multiple generations. Basically, there are just a lot of tools that have always been used precisely to help lift people out of their comfort zones and to be able to change their viewpoint. For example, even a massage. There are literally types of massages that you lay down, and when it's done, you get back up and open your eyes and you see the world very differently in different colors because they help move the energy that you are stuck in. Human beings can sometimes start losing themselves in certain conditions, and it can be very hard to see beyond this. So all of these different tools are there for this. I believe that the spiritual world is very important for human beings. We have to make this connection and look for it. If we don't have it because the natural world can help you feel alive, Plants help us to feel alive, and they begin to give a different dimension to our lives, right? So the extent that we are separated from spiritual practices, from nature, it is much more difficult to find answers for our healing. And it is the job of the mamos to help their community remember all of this? 
Of course. They're constantly working with their communities. And they refer to that work as composing. Why do they use the word composing? Because every time that we are doing anything, even if we are just thinking or doing bigger things like moving to a new house or smaller things like weaving or cooking, every time that we are doing things, there is a movement of energy. And we should always aim to return that energy back to its original state. For example, at the end of your day, you come home and you take a shower. Why do you shower? Because you need to clean that energy that was used or released from your body. You wash your clothes, right? Why do you wash your clothes? Because those clothes become infused with the energy that was used or encountered and become charged with all of those emotions. So water cleanses. The sun cleanses. For the mammals, it's the same concept. They're always cleansing energetically everything that we are thinking and everything that we are doing. All of it so that everything is always brought back to baseline, purified, and ready to be used again. This allows us to continue. And every time that we are doing things, we are generating these energy shifts. So the mammals work to continuously bring these energies back to a place of equilibrium. And they do this through their offerings. Yes, with their offerings. And if it's in other indigenous communities, it's the same thing. What they are doing is sweeping out the used energies in the same way that we sweep out our homes and clean it after a party. The same things happen in our spiritual and mental worlds. So to the extent that people accumulate thoughts, those thoughts, if they are nervous or nerve-wracking, Those thoughts stay there inside of us and they start to actually attract more of the same types of thoughts. So what the mammals do through their spiritual work is take out those thoughts. You can liberate yourself through that type of work. It's like a type of meditation. But pretty much all indigenous communities work the same thing. It's just that their methodologies differ. But in the end, it is all the same thing. It's a question of how to cleanse everything so that energies don't stack up and we can continue on thinking, generating emotions, and doing our daily activities from a place of balance. So how do they actually take out the thoughts? In the Sierra, thoughts are taken out via the use of other thoughts. So the mamos use their divination practice to determine what we are going to work on and how we are going to work on it, depending on the subject matter. So the mama will tell you, okay, you're going to cleanse all the thought energy from the time of your birth up to now. If you have a problem, you get sick, or something happens to you, he'll tell you, okay, This happened because you are still carrying a lot of energy from your past. So you're going to visualize yourself all the way back to the time that you were in your mother's womb and you're going to begin cleansing there. And so you start to basically scan through your life, scan through everything that has happened, everything that you can remember up to a certain age or up until maybe the onset of your period or your first relationship or just everything that you need to scan through. And the energy of those memories then gets deposited into a piece of cotton or certain other types of organic materials that they use. And the mamo then takes that material and delivers it back to the earth as an offering. So he takes it and returns it back to the earth. Yes, he returns it to the earth because the earth has the power to cleanse us. And then, once the mammal has done this for us, we have to go to the river to rinse everything off. Or using the leaves of the frailejon plant or incense. And these are essentially used as if they were soap. And so you do this to finish cleansing yourself of everything and then you are purified and ready to continue on with your life. And what do they do or what is their perspective in regards to balancing out masculine and feminine energies? So all of the work that the mammals and their women do, because a mammal without a woman cannot be a mammal, a mammal needs the woman 
which is the force that complements him, she also has the power that he has. I'm going to explain it in this way and hopefully it makes sense. Our bodies have a right and a left side, right? So those two parts, those two energies, when they come together, they generate life. They generate the materialization of life. So they are always working from that viewpoint. Let's say that there are the positive energies and negative energies. And so tributes are offered to both sides in order to maintain and cultivate balance. Everything is always done from that viewpoint because it's as if there is a constant exchange happening between the two sides, between the two energies, so that creation can take place. Okay, so they're interested in maintaining the balance between these two sides. Yes, always balancing out these two sides. If you only give an offering for the feminine and not for the masculine, then the energy that you didn't pay for starts going out of balance. For example, if we don't pay or make an offering for the negative energy, then we will start to experience more destruction on earth. The water will further dry up or more things of that nature. So the negative and the positive must always be paid for equally so that there is balance. But how do we pay for the negative? We pay for the negative by cleansing the body or by bringing that energy out of the earth. For example, when I pay for the water, and they do ask that we obtain tributes to pay for the water. So when I pay for the water, that is positive, the positive water. I begin to imagine the water that is in the clouds, in the snow, under the ground, the water that comes out of our bodies in the form of sweat, the water that comes out as urine, water vapor, basically water in all of its manifestations. And I start calling all of these waters to my mind and mentally purifying them. In my imagination, I will always imagine the positive colors like white and other lighter colors. But when I am cleansing the negative waters, in my imagination, I work with the waters that are the colors of green and blue and other darker colors. That is how they manage those two sides, by way of the vibration of color. And in their day-to-day life, in terms of relationships between the men and women, how do they balance the masculine and feminine energies? Well, I think that there are a few very beautiful things that I have seen there that have taught me so much in regards to this. The men and the women have their own spaces. So the men are always coming to consult with the woman to ask their opinions in regards to what they are observing. Women are always voicing their opinion on what is taking place. Both men and women are equally respected. For them, woman represents the earth. Woman represents the water. Woman represents fertility, abundance, food, everything that is the earth. Because woman is the embodied representation of the earth. Because the earth is a woman, right? The earth was the first woman that gave us all of this. The men at all times hold an absolute clarity, an understanding that life depends on women and that women are supremely important. So she is treated with respect according to this understanding. If you mistreat a woman, you are essentially mistreating the earth. If you do not give to woman what you should give her, it is the same as not fertilizing the land. Vegetation will not be produced on such land. So they maintain this understanding and they teach boys from a very, very young age to honor and value the feminine energy. And the women have their own spaces where they are in charge and where they have their own hierarchies. And men have their own separate spaces as well. Then they come together to share and to dialogue with each other. But yes, there is a great value placed on what she thinks and what she feels and the women also get together amongst themselves to talk. And when they do, they also feel in their bodies what is happening to the land. To the extent that the land of the Sierra is being destroyed and exploited, the women have manifested illness in their bodies. It's interesting because in today's day and age, women are having more problems with reproduction and fertility more than ever. Yes, well, for example... The Sierra is considered the heart of the world 
For them, it's like the womb where we can find the seed of everything that exists. So to the extent that the Sierra has been destroyed and is being used up for economic development, we are ultimately affecting ourselves, our own health. And we are going to have to begin looking at in what way are we really going to live? Because this consumerism and exploitation is also going to increase our suffering and things will eventually run out. So the Sierra represents that womb, the heart, and they are begging us to leave that land alone. It is sacred for them. It is the heart. It is the womb. If it is destroyed, we are not going to be able to guarantee continued life on Earth. So yes, to the extent that territory is being exploited, we are seeing increased illness in the women, in particular with the reproductive systems. I believe that the indigenous people of the earth have so much to teach our societies, especially now with the environmental crisis that is going on. We are going to have to reorient ourselves because it is up to a shift in consciousness and each and every single one of us. There have recently been a lot of uprisings and movements amongst the youth to advocate for the environment. But I do sincerely think that what is going to ultimately resolve this is the consciousness of each one of us to ask ourselves, what am I going to do? How can I make changes in my life to conserve the life of this planet? Are they worried about the US or the world? So actually, this brings us right to the question of why they have decided to break their silence and their separation from us. How many thousands of years did they live in seclusion before deciding to communicate with our civilization? Well, I can't give you those exact numbers, but I can more or less give you an overview based on what I know that has taken place. It's amazing to see how these pre-Columbian civilizations have been able to subsist until today with most of their traditions still intact, especially considering how strong the cultural shock of the introduction of Occidental thoughts and consciousness into their territories and lives were. So if we think back to the conquistadors and the colonizers and the evangelicals, whose presence has been especially threatening to the consciousness of these indigenous peoples, whose thoughts and consciousness is so different from ours. And also the civil wars in Colombia that have caused so much destruction and displacement. This has gone on and on. And as a result, the indigenous groups have become more and more cornered in their territories really having to struggle to keep their culture and to keep their way of life. This has all been very threatening, not only to the extinction of their culture, but their literal physical extinction. For example, out of the 112 indigenous groups that are still existing today, almost 78 of them are in danger of this extinction because we have them absolutely cornered. In the area where I have worked, in 1993, a group of mammals from the Aruaco group decided that because of this situation, they were going to write a book. The first book in which they asked that younger brother, as they refer to those of us in the modern world, please change this thought process because we cannot continue with this exploitation of the mother of Mother Earth. It is just not sustainable. They have been predicting, visioning this for many, many years back. Their grandparents and great-grandparents saw it as well. But it was in the 90s that they decided to begin sharing their consciousness with the outside world. Because previously, the books that existed about the Sierra were books that were written by anthropologists and sociologists by people who went there to do their university research. So all of that has been an interpretation of the indigenous people's way of life. These books are the first first-hand accounts coming directly from the mamos, 
who wanted to start sharing us so that we could begin to really learn directly from them so that we can actually start asking ourselves, okay, so what are we going to do? If the mission of human beings is to take care of the natural world, because we literally depend on that natural world, our lives do, then how are we going to live our lives in a way that allows all of us to live in a harmonious way? How are we going to do it? Because this current model has failed us. This is an important time in history for people to begin reconnecting with the ancestral thoughts of the indigenous peoples of our planet. When you gave your talk at the Colombian consulate a few days ago, a woman asked you what your life was like living with the Kogi. And you said, imagine living in a world like the one that Harry Potter lives in. Can you explain this? Well, yes, that territory is definitely a sacred territory, a sacred home. So there is not a designated church or building where you go and say, okay, this is the sacred space in here. No, the whole entire territory is sacred. It is shaped like a triangular pyramid. And from the moment that you enter that territory, you start to feel that something different is happening. For example, that is exactly why I was talking about being vigilant of our thoughts. When you're there, it's very clear that whatever you think about ends up happening. That is where we could say it is a world of magic. Truly? Yes, truly. Literally? Yes, literally. I have personally lived it, which is why I'm saying it. So you have to watch your thoughts over there. Yes, from the moment you enter. Before entering the territory, you generally do a cleanse of all that energy from the outside world so that you can come in as pure as possible. Because if not, you're going to be filled up with energy that is going to attract that very same energy. So you want to enter as cleansed as possible. That thought you enter with has to be connected with your heart. In other words, it is not the thoughts of the chaotic mind that thinks all kinds of things. No, the thought has to be connected with the heart so that it can actually be manifested. In other words, it has to be body, heart, and mind together because thoughts are powerful to the extent that our bodies are healthy and that we are in alignment with our hearts. Thoughts then have amazing power to materialize. And so when you think, well, I need to meet up with a certain person the day after tomorrow because I have this book or this gift for them or I need something from them, well, the very next day, that person is standing at your door. If you think it from your heart. Yes, if you're connected. Or you go out for a walk and immediately run into that person. This stuff happens all the time. But you have to be aligned first. Yes, the more connected and conscious you are, the more power there is for your thoughts to manifest into reality. It can also happen, though, if you're not. That is why there are people that unconsciously think things. They manifest and they don't even notice. But if you're consciously directing your thoughts, then with greater certainty, they will create your reality. When we arrive in the Sierra to work, we always make sure that we have a lot of clarity about what we want, what we are going to do, and we do the offerings and spiritual payments and everything works according to this. But you always have to first elaborate it and think about it consciously. And it does literally start to manifest. And do you think that thoughts have more power in the sacred land of the Sierra than, for example, here in Atlanta, Georgia? Well, no, I've actually very much enjoyed getting to know Atlanta. The trees here have made a very strong and beautiful impression on me. In other words, there's something here. I can't tell you exactly what it is because I'm not a mammal, but I do feel that there is a beautiful connection here. I mean, all of these lands have been indigenous ancestral lands, and 
perhaps there still remain indigenous groups here that still practice their ceremonies and are maintaining something. It seems that they are very scarce. Well, all over the earth, they have been being destroyed. And the truth is that we have been very, very selfish with the indigenous groups because they were the ones that first lived here. We should at the very least have some respect and work to give them part of their land. Not doing so causes us harm. We haven't maintained that ancestral consciousness and are losing out on the information that they could all be sharing with us about living in harmony with nature and the land that we're inhabiting. We just go around building anything and everything as we please. And from that point of view of the indigenous peoples, at least from what you've told us about the people of the Sierra Nevada, that interrupts the balance of nature and harms all of us. Yes, because we are destroying the body of the mother that sustains and nourishes us. I mean, what's going to happen then when we have nothing left? What was it that happened to separate modern humans from our relationship with the land? I mean, we all started as indigenous peoples, I'm very happy that you're asking that question because it's the same question I ask myself almost every day. And truly, I haven't been able to find... I mean, I ask myself that question almost all the time. What happened? How did it happen? When did it happen and why did it happen? Why did we get separated in this way? I honestly don't know what happened there. I do know that today... To the extent that we live physically separate from nature, the more and more we are disconnecting from it. For example, the indigenous people of the Sierra typically do not wear shoes and the women sit on the ground because by doing that you are literally in contact with and feeling the natural world. But I do not know when the separation started and when we started being this way. Right, because we all started out with that indigenous way of life before modern civilizations were created. What do they say? Have you talked to them about this? I have tried to bring up this question, but I have yet to get a very clear answer from them about it. What I do know is that currently when one talks to them about subjects like people wanting to go live on Mars and that there is land being sold on the moon or that there are soccer players earning millions of dollars, which are numbers that don't even fit in their mind, or when we tell them that there is a river that has been rerouted, they say that we are crazy, that we are just crazy. They don't understand why we do these things. There is no logic to it because, well... For them, the logical thing is simply to live in balance with nature. And if we lose that, well, we've really lost it all. We're destroying our way of life, killing ourselves. Well, think about it. When a child is born and they experience that every time they flip a light switch, light comes on, or that every time they turn the faucet, water comes out, always, the child will not understand that water is sacred that the resource of light is sacred. The mere concept of not understanding that or where the water is coming from or that that was a river and we have to take care of it and that if it runs out, we will no longer have water. All of that separation from the natural world separates us from grasping where all of our resources are truly coming from. So there is a large separation there already. If you tell a young child that has grown up separated from nature in this way that the earth is our mother, you can tell them this all you want, but they're not going to get it because this is an understanding that you have to feel. And when do you feel it? When you actually experience it, not because someone tells you a story about it. Of course, if every time I want water, I just turn on the faucet and then someone comes to tell me that the earth is my mother, I'm going to be like, what do you mean? The faucet is my source of water, my money. My money is allowing me to have all of these things. Well, they say that it is the negativity on earth that is constantly increasing and that that is why we are displaying such selfish behaviors. It's the negativity. If through their practices, they pay for the negative and positive energy so that the world can be in balance, 
then the question is, are they not doing their work right? Is that why the negativity in our world is increasing? But then they've been explaining that the problem is that our territory, their territory, is being destroyed. For example, there are more than 200 mines on that territory. So their sacred sites are being destroyed and this will not allow them to do their work. For them, that is a literal violation of the mother's body. Exactly. And they can't carry out their mission. So that will increase the energetic imbalance out here as well. Are they depressed with everything that's happening? Yes. There are multiple interviews that we have done and... I want to thank you guys for your interest in helping us to get this message out there. But yeah, in more than one interview, they are literally saying, we are crying, we are very sad, we don't know what to do, we are scared. They are very worried. So they are saying, okay, what is the solution? What is the solution to all of this? For each individual person to do their part. Because there is no one coming to save us there is no president coming to save us there are no extraterrestrials coming to save us no each individual person has to play their part so how are you going to take care of the water how are you going to have that consciousness when you turn on your faucet maybe if there's a little left over you give it to a plant instead of wasting it How can we each be mindful to activate that consciousness that every time we use water, we understand that it is a living being that is blessing us with life and that it is sacred because without water, we can't live. So what is sacred? What makes something sacred? That which allows us to live. So the sun is sacred because without the sun, We aren't going to exist. So every day that I open my eyes and I see the light of the sun, I give thanks. That is my payment. I maintain that consciousness. So payments can also be given through our thoughts. Of course. Because these ancient cultures who have traditions already have their established way of doing this. But us, who are not part of these cultures, what do we do? We have to give things in whatever way we can so that we can also help to maintain the balance from the heart or through our prayers or to the ways in which we engage with our communities for the benefit of all. In other words, how can I be a better person? How can I understand that this isn't just about me? To balance out what is negative. Yes. And in this way, we begin to heal spiritually and to heal our minds and bodies of disease. These ailments are very much rooted in our thoughts, in selfish thoughts, fearful thoughts. So to heal, we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to release these fears, to release our malfunction in thinking? If we aren't willing to change, we aren't going to be able to heal. We have to change. And that is a personal decision. No one else can do it for us. We believe, and Paula has seen this through her work, that many humans have lost touch with the personal power that is necessary to activate change. They have, in many ways, lost faith in themselves. I work in a therapeutic capacity as well, specifically through the modalities of nutrition and dream work. And I do believe that detoxing our bodies helps significantly to increase people's willpower to take those first steps. So I counsel people to fast, to do cleanses. There's many ways to do this. We have to cleanse our kidneys, our livers, and our blood because of all the toxins that we take in. And to the extent that this is done, people will begin to feel that they have just a little bit more inner power to initiate whatever process they need to. I do strongly attest to this. So begin with the physical. Of course. That is what I was speaking to when I was talking about the connection between our physical bodies and the land. 
If our land, but the territory that we inhabit and our physical body, because again, our body is an extension of that land. So you don't want to have anything dirty in your home, right? You want to have everything clean in order to live well. Because if not, then rats and flies and viruses might come in. It's the same thing. We have to keep our bodies clean so that everything works as it needs to. So what do they think, for example, about alcohol and sugar and all of these substances that we use for fun? So I'm not going to answer this question on their behalf for this because I have never asked them. I will answer this from my own experience as Nora. What I have seen is that all indigenous tribes have those moments, those moments of release, entertainment, and catharsis whereby human beings need to liberate themselves of all of the emotions that they have accumulated. And each tribe has different ways of doing this. What I have seen is that the majority of these ancient cultures have plants that they consider sacred, powerful plants that give us the ability to do these transmutations of energy. And many of these plants have actually been degenerated in our modern culture. For example, tobacco used to be used by all of the Americas as a power plant, a healing plant used to communicate with the gods a plant that all of the natives of the Americas used. And what did it become today? It became a cigarette. So it evolved alongside us, and there you have it. And the people that use it, use it socially when they want to talk, when they want to gather. There is still something spiritual in it that does cause people to talk more or to communicate better when they are utilizing tobacco. And so it's the same thing with fermented foods, for example. Every single tribe has had their own fermented foods, which were also used for nourishment. They were also used as medicine. Medicine that would help protect them against viruses and for improved digestion, among other things. These fermented foods have countless properties that served as medicines and continue to do so for many of these original cultures. They would drink the alcohol from these fermented foods and hold ceremony and experience drunken states that were considered absolutely necessary as part of the wellness practices for these indigenous cultures. This is by no means the same as getting drunk and roaming the streets on a regular basis, especially because the way in which they are made is considered a part of that sacred process. That is why these fermented alcohols are also called spirits, because they are a manifestation of the spirit of those plants. In fact, I have lived in villages where the medicine man gets drunk with these alcohols during healings, and in the process of getting drunk, he's able to see spirits, the spirits that are causing the disease or ailment in the person that he is treating, and that is how he is able to heal them. And the other individuals that are also helping to hold space during the ceremony also get drunk in order to aid the process of identifying the spirits that need to be controlled and moved out of the way for healing. And so what did these types of rituals evolve into for those of us in the modern world? Well, it has turned into the liquor that we consume in order to try to fill any emptiness within us. But regardless, there it is. So the substance might be the same, but the intention with which we are using completely shifts the outcome. Yes, the intention of not only how we use it, but also of whoever is preparing it. It's one thing for you to go out and purchase something that is there purely for consumerism that gets made in mass quantities, and it's a whole other thing to intake a substance that is created with a certain consciousness in an intentional thought process towards its function as medicine. So these elements and sacred plants have been the medicine of our indigenous peoples, and they were used in communal settings and sacred ceremony to aid people in leaving those states of mental and physical disease that we have been talking about here. For example, in ayahuasca, Ultimately, it can help you to do a thorough cleanse of your body, which is why people purge and people throw up when they are on it. A cleanse is taking place. 
And through that, your mental clarity opens up and you're able to leave that space with a new level of willpower and not to mention that it also gets you closer to those invisible worlds of spirit. But nowadays, in the ways in which we tend to use these substances in parties and to excess, you become intoxicated. But because we live such sedentary lives, the toxins don't leave your body because our lifestyles also play a major role in how these substances function. For example, in these indigenous groups, the ceremony and the intoxication would take place, sometimes for multiple days even. But then the people would go out and walk for miles, chop and carry wood. In other words, to burn out, to sweat out the substance. But all too often in modern life, people will leave a party and go to sleep and then sit around all day and eat. So all that to say, we must cleanse our bodies. I believe that it's important to dance. It's important to have these parties where catharsis essentially takes place. I believe that it is essential for the human being. I feel that if we didn't have these substances, we would have already all destroyed each other and we would be living in who knows what type of society in even worse conditions than we are now. We have these substances and they do provide an outlet for people to release and transmute everything that is happening. And well, the idea would be for there to be other ways of doing this as well, but the most important thing is to be conscious of excess. That if we are to use these substances, We do so consciously, intentionally, and with limits. Because if you're going to get drunk every day, nonstop, what will your life result in? We already know that does not work well. But yes, it is necessary to have dance, to have joy and ceremony. All of this is still very much present in these indigenous cultures. And the other difference is this. We, in modern society, dance for the sake of dancing. But for them, they dance as an offering of gratitude. To say thank you for life, for the water, the sun, the wind, the harvest. And this, our societies differ. The same goes for music. Music and singing, all of that was associated with the divine and with the upper and lower realms of existence and practiced with the intention of maintaining the balance of energies between worlds. I do believe that it would be very beautiful for us to recover these practices and to engage in them alongside the cycles of nature and other different celestial events like the solstice or the equinox, that people would reawaken this consciousness. I do believe this would greatly aid our planet. These are definitely practices that would reconnect us back with nature, with our basic humanity. Well, Nora, thank you so much for being with us today, engaging in this conversation and sharing these sacred thoughts from the indigenous people of the Sierra as well as all of your experiences with us and with our audience. Me too. And I do want to say that these books that I have brought you guys as an offering of gratitude, in them you will find a link where you can go online and find more information and resources on these groups. Because this is, at the end of the day, a very large conversation. And it truly does require even more time than we were able to give it here today. But yes... It is absolutely my pleasure. I'm very grateful to be able to be here and to bring these thoughts forth. Gracias, Nora. Okay, ciao. Bye, ciao. Bye. Ciao a todos. Hey, Kwani, chukwani, duni, duni.